This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Brought to you by Carter, Subaru, Volkswagen, and Acura on Seattle Sports. Heward, not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Oh, yes, here we go with the Brock and Salt Show on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app, and the old podcast platforms, all of them everywhere, whichever one is easiest for you to find. Make sure you uh, subscribe and then actually, you know, choose to listen to the show. We appreciate that. Thank you. Um, we're rocking out with our Brock out for the rest of the week here as uh, we'll have a series of people coming in. KJ will be in a little bit later today. How many Ready? times have you said that? Rocking out with your Brock out? Many never, times. Never heard that. Before. Oh, really? No, we've said that before. Oh, okay. yeah, it's just one of those days. All right. We got, uh, we got KJ today. We got, uh, we got Brady Henderson tomorrow. I think Shannon Dreyer is going to come in for a little bit on Friday, talk some baseball, at least assuming that uh, there's not like a Seahawks coaching decision made on Thursday night. But uh, with that sort of as a caveat, Shannon should be in on Friday, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to talk a little uh, little Hall of Fame today. I got uh, I got some thoughts on the old Hall of Fame (laughs) announcement that came out yesterday. And uh, yeah, Justin, it also kind of dawns on me as we start the show today. That we might get some singing later. There could be there a could performance. Be a little <laughs> singing performance. So those of you who've been listening since uh, we started the Mike Salk show. So that was, what, a couple of years? It was like two and a half years ago, by the way. Yeah. Right? Yeah, September 2021. Sheesh. Justin, you've been here a while now, it's huh? It's weird. Yeah. Almost it, two, not quite two and a half years, but more than two, close to two and a half years. And uh, since then... We've had a little deal here where when one of us sleeps late, oversleeps, has a little alarm problem, either sleeps through it or doesn't turn it on correctly or their phone dies or whatever the case may be, we make them sing, right? So you sang Beck's Loser? I No, I sang... Uh... It wasn't loser. It was, oh, devil's haircut. Because it devil's was the day haircut. that I cut all my long hair off. Right. So I, I was like, yeah, it's a good, yeah. good idea. So you had to sing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, I think that was the origin of Mora first singing DMX. DMX. Yeah. So Possible. it's 6.02. Yeah, no Mora. No sign of Mora. So <laughs> she's been texted. She's been called. It's gone straight to voicemail. <laughs> I unfortunately don't have Bruin's number, so I can't get in touch with Bruin and tell her to, you know, give her a sniff or something and see if she can get her awake. But no no sign of Mora as of 6.02. So either she's quit, she's quiet quit, or she's just slipping. She sent her email late last night, too. So yeah. I'm thinking that she has yeah. a little sleepy. Yeah, she, she might be a little sleepy. So, yeah. All right. Uh, so that's coming up a little bit later in the show today as well. Singing, though. Performance. Yep. A little performance. So stick around for that. That'll be great. I love I love when we have to when we have to do that. Yeah, this will be, I think, two for her. You're at one. You're oh, still I'm, a goose I'm egg. At, I'm at zero. Two I, and a half years in. I used to work for a different uh, morning show. When I, my very first radio job ever when I was an intern. Yeah. The penalty, the studios were on Lake Union. Yeah. And the penalty was you had to go jump on the lake. I mean, we're on tough. Lake Union. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. We're I, very actually, close actually, to Lake Union. We might be closer than that studio. Was I mean, we're, that Lake was, Union's like right there. They would send somebody there out, and you had to do it on the show. Wow. So they'd send somebody out there with, with you. With a with camera a mic- and a yeah. microphone. And, yep. Yeah. 
Well, we're probably not going to do all that. That's not going to happen. No. But <laughs> singing is more fun for the rest singing, of the I audience. Singing, I think, should be pretty good. So yeah. if you guys have suggestions on something you might like to hear more sing later today, feel free to text them in to 866-979-3776. Uh, that is the Mac and Jack's text line. We would be very happy to uh, to make her record a little something during a break. Uh, thank you to the 253, who says you sincerely miss the Mike Salk show. I do not, but uh, I'm glad you do. It's nice having Brock back and certainly makes our lives a whole lot easier uh and it usually leads to some great guests over the course of a week as well um salk what do you think of dan quinn with chip kelly as yeah, a pairing for the seahawks seen that around yesterday and the day before yeah. really i, the, I, mean, I the like chip, chip kelly name i thought would I really like be chip. exciting i do like chip coordinator I, I, role i like chip in college probably more than in the nfl I think that he's a creative guy, and obviously as a coordinator, that would be a lot more interesting than another stint as head coach because I don't think that went all that well for him. Uh, much to my chagrin, I really was on the chip bandwagon back then. I thought he was going to kill it in, in uh, Philly. I really did. I was wrong, obviously, and you know you can choose to take that out of me as we think about the uh, the whole head coaching thing, but I've tried to learn from it, which is one of the reasons I'm not one of those like, you know, go for the best coordinator, the smartest guy in the room thing, because I think that was Chip yeah, at the time, proven, right? He the, was an unbelievable yeah, coordinator, and he was the guy who had created such a such a fantastic offense in college and the speed and just doing it differently, and it didn't work at all, right? I mean, it didn't work translate in any way, and he had a lot of trouble setting the culture for an NFL team in a way that he didn't seem to struggle in college. So... Yeah, I, I don't know that Chip would be my guy as much as I like him personally and like talking to him. And I do root for him. I root for him at UCLA, and I hope he has success down there. But I don't know that that's the direction I would go. And I'm still a little – I don't dislike the idea of Dan Quinn, but I think I'm with the what appears to be the large majority of Seahawks fans who aren't that excited about him. He's not the most exciting candidate. Every other candidate is seems to be more exciting for some reason. You kind of go through it, right? And it's like, okay, Ben Johnson or uh, Mike McDonald. And by the way, today seems to be Mike McDonald day. Like a lot of the sound in our system is about McDonald. He seems to be like the guy of the day, which happens, of course, when you're going through this. Well, both guys are young. They're killing it right now. And the coordinating one is, you know, gotten Jared Goff to a Super Bowl, which is, you know, Sean McVay is the only other guy to do. The other and Mike McDonald is, you know, has this this defense that's playing otherworldly right now level. And they're not just not just are they very good, not just do they hit hard, not just are they talented, but they do a whole lot more. Well, I'll play some sound here from Schlereth, who's just going off on how smart they are defensively. Oh, hold on. Can you turn my uh, can you turn my uh, thing up there? There we go. The other thing I think they do a great job of is attacking your protection from the standpoint of you being on the line of scrimmage and your quarterback identifying guys that he wants the offensive line to go to. And then they're dialed in enough to be able to bring pressure or simulated pressure from the opposite side. Yeah, he goes on from there, but I'll just give you a little taste of it. They're smart. 
they do a lot of things to make your life hell as a quarterback. And those are, you know, incredibly exciting and and I'm sure would be relieving here in Seattle after watching what's happened with especially the Niners and Rams and other teams mm-hmm. over the course of the last few years. He seems to have had some of the antidote for that. So those guys are exciting for that reason. I get it. You know, Mike Vrabel's been a head coach recently and he brings the tough guy persona and a recent player and all that. Mike Vrabel is exciting. Jim Harbaugh, whether you like him or hate him, polarizing, exciting, right? Um, you know, most of the candidates, if you want to go to the sort of, you know, more, I'll call them fringe. Maybe that's not fair, but guys that you don't know as much about, well, their unknown quantity is sort of exciting as well, right? I mean, whether it's Patrick Graham or, um, or, uh, or Ajiro Avera, like any of those guys, like it's their, it's their sort of unknown factor where you're like, Hey, if they chose an unknown guy, there's gotta be a really good reason for it. So that's exciting. Is Sean unknown guy to you? Um, I, I mean, we have no evidence that he's even been somebody they're yeah, looking that's true. at, that's true. but Fair. I would be intrigued by him. I would find him to be maybe a little bit more exciting than Dan Quinn as well. So I don't know Quinn. And I think maybe to a lesser extent, Raheem Morris feel like settling far, a little bit and not far enough away because yeah. I don't understand like part of the, the, the criteria you've listed for some of these coaches, like you said, Vrabel, how much you would like it if he left and was a DC somewhere or somewhere else for a couple That'd of be years. That'd better. That's you're explaining Dan Quinn and like you're explaining in a, in a way almost Chip Kelly too. like Pete did what Chip Kelly did and oh, no. didn't succeed, came back to college had moderate success. Well, Pete's was well, Pete dream success in the NFL and then had unbelievable yeah, success huge. in college, but came back. Yeah, had I, I don't know, man. I got to tell you, I just there I'm, I'm struggling to like build a, a like excitement factor on Dan Quinn. And that doesn't mean that he wouldn't be good at the job. He might be. And if he get, gets hired, I'm sure, you know, we'll all kind of give him I'll be really open minded to the idea that he could be great. But it it doesn't have that feel. Of, it feels like the first available as opposed to the guy that's going to just blow you away. So we'll see what direction it goes. Uh, We'll talk a lot more about that, of course, today. Uh, Some suggestions coming in for Mora, I believe, believe by Cher. (laughs) You know how much she loves it. (laughs) I believe Cher. I saw a Ford on Blondes. I said, oh, Hotel California. Oh, that's a good one. Suggestion based on how much we've had lately with the Eagles. Yes. Four non blondes. What's going on is another option. Amora, uh, Kid Rock, Bawa to Bawa. Oh, that would be <laughs> My good. name is Mora. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. Well, that will get her excited this yeah. morning. That's for sure. And then uh, one last text says, Salk, what's going on with the puppy Sunday? It's Sunday. happening. It's happening on Sunday. Yes. The Is that weather, we reveal the name? And uh, the name will be revealed, yes, next week. I might take a day off. I don't think Monday, but probably Tuesday. I'll probably take a day off to just bond with her and just kind of get to know her. I can't wait. The pictures, she's adorable. Okay. And so uh, Tuesday is the day that they're going to sign somebody. That's what we're hearing. Yeah, this, no, I would this, say yeah, Monday afternoon, Monday, yeah. yeah, Monday night. If that happens, obviously It'll I can bump yeah, the I day. Know, or whatever. It's not like I'm going to be gone, but uh, <laughs> that's the plan. All right, uh, let's come back. Let me give you everything you need to know, including a guy that's really well liked here in Seattle with a gigantic honor yesterday. That's coming up next on Brock and Salk Seattle Sports on seven ten SeattleSports.com. need to know 15 minutes past every hour with brock and salk here's what you need to know up 
first. Did Pete Carroll really want the Chargers job? Is that a thing? I thought Snoop Dogg started that rumor, and apparently people are taking uh, away. Yeah, Mike Florio was reporting it yesterday as well. Sure didn't seem like he was interested in jumping right back onto the horse when he spoke just a couple weeks ago, but I'm maybe spending a little time away. Got his competitive juices flowing, and the chance to work with a premier quarterback in L.A. has to be appealing. Certainly, there's only two jobs in that city, and one of them doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. By all accounts, though, it does sound like the most likely scenario is that that's going to go to Jim Harbaugh, Mike Garofalo explained on the Rich Eisen Show. Something could happen between the Chargers and Jim Harbaugh in the near future. My understanding is that it is an extremely strong offer that they have made to him financially. Uh, they're now in the point where they're di- going to discuss staffing when it comes to general manager and obviously the coaching staff who is going to work alongside Harbaugh as well. So this feels like advancing to the point where if everybody's comfortable with a lot of the principal uh, factors at play, that this team could move on Jim Harbaugh and try to get him under contract. All right, so it seems like that is going to happen. Sorry, that was on NFL Network. This was on the damn pa- on Rich Eisen show, rather, and this was Albert Breer explaining where Mike Vrabel's at. Look, I think Seattle, I, I think John Schneider would really look at that, maybe over Dan Quinn, but, you know, like Dan Quinn's the presumed leader in the clubhouse there. I think the Chargers would look at hiring him if Jim Harbaugh were to leave them at the altar. I think the Falcons would look at him very seriously if the Bill Belichick thing doesn't work out. So it does feel like he's running second a bunch of these places. So it's not that he's not a strong candidate in a lot of these places. He is. It's just that like a lot of these places where maybe he fits best, the focus has been on somebody else. It's so funny that uh, to me, this is one of those moments where the national perspective and the local are so different. It seems to happen here in Seattle a lot more than in other places. The national perspective seems to be what Albert said there, which is that Dan Quinn is the odds on favorite. The local perspective, at least among the fan base, is yawn. Like, no, don't really feel like that's actually the direction this is going to go and where Schneider is going to choose to make his big bet. So we'll see. Obviously, uh, we won't know until we know. But one of those splits where I think Mike Vrabel will be a whole lot more interesting than Dan Quinn. Here's the second thing you need to know. Uh, Adrian Beltre, a Hall of Famer on his first shot, might not have seen likely during his up and down stint here in Seattle, where he seemed to play second fiddle to Ichiro and Felix, certainly. But his longevity, his defense, leadership, raw numbers made him a shoe in on the first ballot, had more than 400 home runs, more than 3000 hits to go with five gold gloves. So, yeah, that makes it pretty easy. Next offer swing and a high fly ball deep to right field. Gamble going back to the warning track to the wall. Goodbye, baseball. Adrian Beltre with an opposite field three run home run here in the bottom of the first his 14th home run of the season and the Rangers lead it three to nothing. Yeah, that was against the Mariners. Obviously, he'll join Todd Helton and Joe Mauer. Helton got to 2,500 hits, 350 home runs. Mauer doesn't really have the counting stats, but that's not that surprising given his position. He was a catcher, but he did win an MVP, a couple of silver sluggers, gold gloves, revered by teammates and peers. I'll tell you a story about him coming up a little later. Personally, I would like to have seen both Gary Sheffield and uh, I wrote Bobby Wagner. I meant Billy. Billy Wagner in as well. I think both are Hall of Famers. This was the last shot for Sheffield, who I think was a more feared hitter in his day than any of the three who got in. And while his name is mentioned in the Mitchell report, there's no evidence against him that he used performance enhancing drugs as for Wagner second only to Mariano Rivera and maybe Trevor Hoffman and his time as well I think he'll probably get in next year as he came just five five votes short but that guy's a Hall of Famer 
both of them are in my book. And uh, yeah, but look, I think A-Rod should be in. I think Bond should be in. I think Manny should be in. Those guys are the best hitters of their time. And regardless of how they got there, I would absolutely put them into the Hall of Fame. Couple of moves around baseball yesterday, led by Reese Hoskins, getting 34 million for two years with an opt-out after year one in Milwaukee. Perfect spot for him. That's a great spot for Reese Hoskins. He can reestablish his value there in a fantastic hitters park. The deal that actually bugged me a little bit was Matt Moore getting $9 million for one year in Anaheim. Yeah, I'd like a veteran arm like Matt Moore in this bullpen. I think that would be really helpful. So that one kind of, I don't know, stung a little bit when I saw it yesterday. Here's the third thing you need to know. Huskies do have their quarterback, at least for now. For the second time, Mississippi State transfer Will Rogers has committed to playing on Montlake next season, so he will be their starting quarterback. Kraken will get back to it tonight. Unfortunately, no chance to see the fantastic rookie Connor Bedard play. His team's in town, but he is hurt, so uh, no no Connor Bedard for the Blackhawks tonight. As for the Kraken, they're starting to get healthier. Vince Dunn, Matty Beneers, Phil Grubauer, all activated and able to practice yesterday. Don't know whether they will play just yet. Here's Vince Dunn. Yeah, I felt great. It's nice to see moving bodies at a full speed. Um, I thought a lot of the drills today, I was able to get touches in and um, get back into some game-like situations. So it was nice to be out there with the guys and um, have some laughs and just throw the puck around with them. It's good to be back. Hockey players are the best. Just everything they say is kind of funny. Right? Uh, yeah, I want to, I like, I want to, I, I want to say I want to party with those guys just well, because of the, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I want to say. They're pretty fun to party with. Like, I, I don't want to skate around. I don't want to hang in the locker room. I just want to party with yeah, them. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's everything you need to know. Uh, we do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Good news for those who were worried about Mora. Uh, she is awake. She has overslept. Yeah. She was not injured. Checks. She was not, uh, she was not in any way. Uh, nothing problematic. Just just overslept. Just an OMG. I don't know what happened. I just woke up. I'm so sorry. I'll hurry. Oh, that's not what you want to hear. Not what you want to hear. So, uh, yeah, if you've got songs that you want more to sing, I recommend uh, texting them in because we're going to make her sing a little bit later. Now, there's an argument to be made, Justin. This is her second time oversleeping. Does that require two songs? Two songs. And what's the threshold? Because like, when when does it end? If, if three, the max you're gonna do? Oh, I would. I mean, I would think after three songs, like if it's third oversleep, I would think the fourth time, the punishment gets worse. <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, singing is fine, but you, I mean, you get to four, mm-hmm. yeah, three strikes you're out. I, I would say, yeah, I don't know. Maybe after this, there's uh, nice of sweet dreams, the Eurythmics. Oh, that's an interesting one. Oh, yeah, because she was sleeping, sleeping for too long. Yeah. Now like I lay me down to sleep. Yeah, maybe sing uh, a little uh, uh, Metallica. Well, Metallica, a little Enter Sandman might be uh, might be a possibility. Or a no well. doubt Spiderwebs. Yes, all okay. possibilities. All right, so uh, keep sending them in, 866-979-3776. We will make her sing a little bit later, maybe even in front of KJ, just to embarrass her a little bit more. Uh, coming up next, Mike Vrabel with Jim Harbaugh likely now going get to get done here with uh, the Chargers. Mike Vrabel is my number one choice for the Seahawks' next head coaching job, or next head coach, rather. And uh, we're going to go to Tennessee and talk to an old friend, learn a little bit more about him. We'll do it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 seattlesports.com. This this is Brock and Salk. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.
It's kind of a Christmas in January situation with Mora oversleeping today. So she'll be doing some singing later. She's going to come in all apologetic. Oh, I feel bad. And we're like, no, this is great. <laughs> this works out actually pretty well for us. You get to sing. <laughs> this should be fun. We'll do that a little bit later. Uh, it's Brock and Salk Sales Sports on 710seattlesports.com as well. Uh, I said we wanted to talk a little bit about Mike Vrabel uh, because he is now with the news coming out from Mike Garofalo that they're kind of working on the final details and touch-ups, dotting the I's, crossing the T's with Jim Harbaugh in LA. He moves to the top of my list, certainly, to be the next Seahawks head coach. And uh, old friend Ben Arthur, used to cover the Seahawks for the PI, has been uh, in Tennessee covering the Titans and now actually covering the entire AFC West, or AFC South, rather, for uh, for Fox Sports joins us now. Ben, good morning. How are you, buddy? Good morning. It's good to hear from you. It's been it's been a little while. It has, and you know what? I think about you all the time because I uh, I my daughter goes to school in Capitol Hill, and so I'm often driving by that Katsu Burger in uh, in Capitol Hill, and I think about the lunch that we had there. So I think about you <laughs> almost daily, certainly weekly. Definitely. Yeah. No, no, that's awesome. I, I remember that. Yeah. I think that was actually my first time at Katsu Burger too. And that's definitely one thing I miss about Seattle yeah. is how, how good it was. Yeah. Yeah, it must be hard not having any good food in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. No, the, it, the, the seafood obviously isn't up to snuff, but uh, I would say, I will say the Southern food yeah. is fantastic. How's the hot so chicken? I, Oh my God, it's incredible! <laughs> you have to get down here. It is it is fantastic. What's the best hot chicken place? <laughs> oh, there are so many. Um, I would say Prince's hot chicken is is a good spot. I mean, Hattie B's is like the touristy right one that like everyone knows about that you know all the people coming into town like go to. But like Prince's is definitely one of the like top local mm. uh, spots. So um, I would say that I was almost in Nashville today, Justin. I almost flew to Nashville today for to get the dog. So I, I could have hung out with Ben and well, done the nice. whole thing. All right. Let, enough of that. Let, let's talk about uh, some some football. And let's start with Mike Vrabel, because he is very much of interest to me. And we've heard some rumblings that he could be of interest to John Schneider as the next coach of the Seahawks. You were there. You covered him in Tennessee. What is his greatest strength and his greatest weakness? Yeah, his greatest strength um Players want to run through a brick wall for him. Uh, he, he he's he's an alpha uh, personality, but but he also has a love and, and a care for his players that the players appreciate. Uh, obviously, he he played in the NFL uh, for a long time, like as a linebacker, won Super Bowls. So players have a respect for him, and and I think there's a relatability component uh, to that as well. Uh, one thing that a lot of Titans players have told me over the years is just his blatant honesty, which they really appreciate, right? Like he doesn't sugarcoat anything, but they also know that it comes from, from a place of love. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, the outside, they'll, they'll see Mike Rabel seem to kind of like take shots at players, maybe like through the media or it seems somewhat harsh but he doesn't say anything in public that he hasn't told players in in private so that's definitely one thing that stands out to me uh one thing i've always noticed is how he 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 just has an intricate knowledge of like every single position group on a team right like as a defensive minded guy you'd think he'd only hang around like 
the defense or particularly the linebackers, but he really gets his hands in the dirt with like every position group, whether it's like helping uh, like the wide receivers or the cornerbacks on their technique and, and giving pointers and whatnot, like the offensive linemen uh, getting to the nitty gritty with them. I mean, I remember one time at uh, the Titans had joint practices with the Buccaneers a couple years ago. And after like a red zone rep, like he took some of the Bucks TVs <laughs> aside and was coaching them up. Uh, and so he's very much a teacher uh, by nature. And so I would say that's definitely one of his greatest strengths. I, I mean, I think he does an incredible job of maximizing the talent he has. One thing I kind of like to tell people is he, he kind of reminds me of Eric Spolstra in, in the NBA. I mean, Eric Spolstra is, has a more of a pedigree, right? He's won NBA championships. But just in terms of maximizing what may look like uh, like being like having an awful roster, not maybe a roster that can compete. Like Vrabel is the kind of guy who is going to get the absolute most out of every single player on the team. Like if it's like the fifth string safety, like making sure he's ready to go with the starter and the, and the top backups are out. So, so I, I think all those are like his superpowers. You're describing a guy that sounds like he should still be the head coach somewhere. So Ben, what, what was his downfall? Why is he no longer the head coach in Tennessee? Yeah. I think one of the things is his offensive shortcomings. Uh, he, he just couldn't get the offense figured out uh, since Arthur Smith left. Like he, Arthur Smith didn't have a, like the greatest tenure as the Falcons coach, but he was an incredible offensive coordinator in Tennessee. Like he, the, the Titans offenses with Arthur Smith were some of the best in franchise history. I mean, that's when Derrick Henry had his 2000 yard year. And when Ryan Tannehill uh, looked like a top 10 quarterback, like a pro bowl caliber quarterback. And then when Arthur Smith left after the 2020 season, he just never seemed to, to figure out like the offense, like it, it for, for three straight years, like the offense has just regressed and, and regressed and, and, and regressed. And uh, he, he was just never able to get like the hires, like for offensive coordinator. Uh, right. And, and the offensive line was like kind of the downfall as well. And, and I think maybe he was uh, kind of maybe too loyal to, I mean, that's something in the coaching community, right? Like the guys, like these coaches will, bring in people they trust. But I think at times with, with the offensive guys on his staff, Rabel may have been maybe loyal to a fault. Um, and so uh, that definitely played a role. And, and there was some stuff internally, like with, with the with Titans ownership that happened as well. But, but I think from an, a performance standpoint and, and kind of like the Titans regression the last couple of years, uh, I mean, injuries played a big role in that, but it was really like the offense uh, that, that just s- seemed to go on a nosedive uh, for after like Arthur Smith left in 2020. So I would say maybe that's the biggest thing. Well, and, and certainly Arthur Smith is out there and available too to be an offensive coordinator potentially if that's the direction they choose to go. Talking to Ben Arthur, Fox Sports used to be here in Seattle, does a great job, uh, covered the Titans and now covers the entire uh, division for Fox Sports. Um, 
where would you put Vrabel on the list of guys that are out there and available? And you've probably seen a little bit of Bobby Slowick since uh, he's in that uh, in that division and know a little bit, I'm sure, about these other candidates, whether it's Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald or some of the other uh, Dan Quinn, uh, even Raheem Morris. I mean, like there's been a lot of really interesting names. Where would you put Vrabel on that list? Yeah, honestly, I, I would have Rabel pretty high on the list, even though it, things didn't really work out for him here in, in Nashville. I mean, he's a proven coach. Like, he, he did a really good job with what he had to work with, kind of going back to my point about maximizing rosters. I mean, some of the teams he had were just not very good, or, or there were just like a buttload of injuries. Like in 2021, they had to use – 91 players because of injuries like it which is the most in nfl history apart from like the strike season uh and and they still won 12 games and they they were the afc's number one seed and that's when he won coach of the year like he can he has a way of tapping into players and maximizing talent that i think very few coaches um are able to and so i think with him, like who he hires on offense is like for the offensive staff is like going to be like the biggest thing. Um, but, but I think you, you put him in a situation to where like he has good talent to work with on the offensive side of the ball. And we know the talent the Seahawks have like with DK and, and Tyler Lockett and a couple offensive linemen uh, that you guys have up there. Mm-hmm. And with an opportunity, it seems to potentially draft a quarterback uh like that was i I think something that also held back Brable too like me Tannehill is fine as like a veteran as a bridge quarterback but to really build a team around him it's tough and and uh he he didn't really get time with Levis right he only had nine games with Will Levis so we don't really know what that could have become but Mike Brable really never he never had like a young quarterback to to mold and to help develop over multiple years. Um, and, and so I think that opportunity could be afforded to him uh, in Seattle, assuming uh, Geno Smith, they, the, the Seahawks move on from him. So uh, in terms of available candidates for the Seahawks, I mean, I would have him pretty high up there. I don't know if he would be my number one, but you know exactly what you're getting from him. He, he's a you know proven guy. Again, he's a guy that players relate to. Uh, as a former player who won Super Bowls and, um, and yeah, maximizes talent. So I, I think all those are reasons why I think uh, Seattle should look strongly at him. Yeah. Since you're, uh, since you are covering the whole division, let me just ask you quickly about Bobby Slowick, who, you know, is another name that we've heard quite a bit about. Is he for real? Do you think he is a legit head coaching candidate this year, or is this more getting his name out there for the future? Honestly, I think he would really benefit from another year. Um, uh, I think being tied to C.J. Stroud, of course, is, has helped him a lot. And not saying that he hadn't. I mean, C.J. is C.J. I'm not giving Bobby total credit for what C.J. Stroud is, but I think he was able to push uh, C.J. Stroud's buttons in ways to, to maximize what he was as a rookie and, and CJ's talked about like how he was really tough on him and, and really, really detail oriented, which I think are all qualities you, you want in, in a coach. 
Um, but the offense, the Texans offense did have shortcomings. And so I think for him, if he can take that next step mm. with the Texans offense and, and show that they could build a uh, stable run game around CJ Stroud, like just show that improvement from year one to year two, I, I think he would be in a much better place. Kind of like what Ben Johnson uh, has done in, in Detroit, right? Like he was a hot candidate last year, but I think staying with the Lions another year has done wonders for him. And I think for Bobby, um, if if he stays in Houston another year and, and makes Strouds with uh, Stroud and, and the offense and the play calling uh, just around Stroud, I think it would do him uh, a big favor. And so I think for me, Bobby Slowick, he's uh, – not to say like like he, he might get an offer like this cycle and um yeah he's a great coach but i think he would be a much better candidate if he stuck around in houston for one more year that's my two cents hey good stuff man thank you uh appreciate your insight this morning and good to hear your voice and uh just uh, always happy to watch your success and what's going on with you so uh thanks man good to talk to you we'll do it again Sounds good. Appreciate you. All right, there you go. There's uh, Ben Arthur, who used to be here in Seattle. Really good dude and uh, has done a fantastic job since getting that uh, Titans beat and then turning it into an entire divisional uh, uh, coverage for Fox Sports. So uh, pretty cool stuff. And yeah, I mean, those are the things that I like hearing about Mike Vrabel. And maybe that's a little confirmation bias for me. And I maybe I chose a guy to come on and, and tell me what I wanted to hear about Vrabel. But you know, I, I did write uh, through some of the things that I said yesterday. You can read it at seattlesports.com this morning about, about you know, how important and where X's and O's fall on that list for me. And it's not zero. Got to have it. I just think that there's a lot of Seahawks fans that right now are so frustrated by the lack of ingenuity in the coordinator jobs the last five years that they are hungering for something that maybe isn't what we need out of a head coach. I want to fix that first. But it, exactly, but yeah. it's more what could be available as a what, assistant coach. What did you coach. think about the, the the downfall point? I mean, that sounds a little bit Pete too there. Maybe a, a little, little bit, bit but it sounds like his downfall was like, yeah, there were a lot of injuries and ownership wasn't great. That's true. They got rid of a lot of the good players. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> and he never had a quarterback. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. Those don't feel like things that to me are, uh, are make me say that, that Mike Vrabel wouldn't do a great job if he were here. All right, uh, let me move on for a few minutes because we're going to be bouncing all around today, and we'll come back to the coaching stuff. And, of course, KJ will talk about it as well when he comes in at 8 o'clock. Uh, yesterday was the Hall of Fame vote announcement, and uh, we found out who's getting in. It's going to be Joe Maurer and Adrian Beltre and Todd Helton. And uh, I could talk through a little bit about the sort of you know Hall of Fame stuff. I'll do that later in the show. But the two who didn't get in were uh, Billy Wagner and Gary Sheffield. Sheffield, that was his last chance. He's not going to get in. Billy Wagner, I think, will probably get in next year. He's got one more shot, and he's only five votes away. So in all likelihood, he will pick those up next year and get in. But I, I do have interesting stories about Maurer, Sheffield, and Wagner. I've only talked to one of them, but I've had kind of weird, interesting interaction. I guess one of them's not really my story, but one is. In any event, Billy Wagner's probably the weakest of the three stories. I just think it's amazing. I think Billy Wagner's great. I loved watching him throw 97 from the left side at a time where people just didn't do that. He was ahead of his time in so many ways. Do you realize he struck out almost one-third of the batters he faced? In his career, numbers are absolutely nuts. And, you know, he got tattooed a couple of times for big home runs in big moments, and that should work against him. And I think that's why it's taken him nine years and it's probably going to take him 10 to get into the Hall of Fame. But 
the most amazing thing about Billy Wagner is that he's right-handed. Yeah, I've never heard this the story. The craziest story of all time. Dude was a right-handed flamethrower, broke his arm, decided to start throwing lefty while his arm was broken, and turned into a near and eventual Hall of Fame closer yeah. with his Bonkers. left arm. Yep. Now, look. My left hand doesn't work based on the accident that I had when I was 12 years old. So for me, the idea of throwing something with my left hand is like impossible to fathom. But can you imagine being like able to throw a ball so well with your off hand that you became a Hall of Fame closer? That's insane. I can't tell you how proud I was of myself when I broke my I'm left handed when I broke my left wrist a couple times as a kid. I had to write with my right handed. How proud. (laughs) I was, and I could get through Spell your name. Right. Spell anything. Much less pick up a baseball and do everything mirrored. If you asked me to brush my teeth with my left hand right now, I'd be like, dude, you're insane. Don't ask me to do that. What's what's the matter with you? So that is an incredible story. That was uh, one. But let me give you one on Gary Sheffield and and first one on Joe Maurer. So I've told this story before. I've told both these stories before, but I, I really like both of them. So let me start with the Maurer one. This was years ago. I was in the Mariner Clubhouse before a game. And the, you know, like normal, they would have whatever baseball game was going on earlier just on one of the TVs in there. And a couple guys were sitting around watching and I was talking to a few guys and all of a sudden people were just like, oh, my God, like they erupted like somebody had just won the World Series. I'm like, look at the screen, show the replay. And it's just Joe Maurer getting a little hit. It was like kind of a I think it was a double down the right field line, went the other way. And I'm like. Or no, it wasn't, didn't go there. He's a lefty. Yeah, so he lefty. pulled it and uh, kept it fair, a little double down the right field line against Justin Verlander. And I'm like, why are you guys cheering like that? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And uh, a couple of guys led by Rob Johnson, who was the catcher here at the time, looked at me. He's like, are you insane? Are you crazy? Are you stupid? Rob Johnson. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think I'm like, what What happened? He's like, did you not see what he just did? And I'm like, yeah, he hit a double down the line. No, he didn't. He didn't just hit a double down the line. <laughs> Did you not see the way he pulled his hands in and kept that 98-mile-an-hour fastball high and in fair? That's impossible to do. I'm like, oh, well, can you explain it? They're like, look, when Justin Verlander, when anybody comes up and in with a high, you know, heat fastball like that, the best thing you can do is foul it off. Get out ahead of it, keep your hands in, not break your bat. And if you're lucky, you'll foul it off to, to the right side. For him to get his hands that far inside the ball and still keep it fair with some juice down the right field line and to do all of that against Justin Verlander in his prime, the guy you just don't do that. Award. Yeah, like that's just not a real thing. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh my God. How like, differently professional right? athletes watch the, the game. Yeah. So yeah. I've always sort of viewed it as a as a, you know, as that. Like, man, they are watching a completely different game than we are. But there is that other element of like, yeah, that was Joe Maurer. And look, his counting stats are pretty weak, honestly, to be a Hall of Famer. Injuries, et cetera, catchers, that'll happen a little bit. I think he's deserving. You know, we're going to get into it a little bit later. This Hall of Fame class is a little like. Yeah, I can tell you don't love it. It's a little Hall of very, very good. It's better than that. Obviously, Beltre belongs in with all the numbers, et cetera, but it's just kind of a. I don't know. It's an okay class. But when you hear something like that, you realize how revered Joe Maurer was by his peers at the time. Certainly Beltre was as well. And I think Todd Helton was also. I mean, I think all three guys were really revered by their peers. And so that was just a story. And that, Maurer and Helton were always... freak athletes. I could have played probably any sport professional. Yeah, Maurer was a big-time quarterback, right? Well, I think so he was, was, I believe Maurer was Gatorade Player of the Year 
when he was in high school as a quarterback. I, you know, I may have that wrong, and but I believe that's started the case. at Tennessee, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. So there's uh so there's a little story. Also, about Rob Joe Johnson, Mauer. one of the only professional baseball players out of Montana, so I loved him. Uh, yes, from uh, Butte and, and a con. Yeah. Right, yeah. Butte area. Yeah, yeah, Rob was a good guy. I liked Rob a lot. Butte's a tough town. Um, last story. Sheffield. Oh, well, I've told you my Sheffield story before, but I'll just tell it to you quickly because years ago when I was first um, starting in this business, I was at a very small station in Boston, which had you know no signal and no ratings and no nothing. And my job for part of it was to go to Fenway every day and generally do like a five to ten minute interview with usually an opposing player, but sometimes a member of the Red Sox. It just depends who was around that day. And I got to talk to some really cool people. I talked to a, like a rookie, Evan Longoria, when he was like five or six days into the big leagues. Rad. He was awesome. Really cool interview. There are a bunch of guys that I really enjoy talking to. But I worked up my courage one day when the Yankees were in town. I was like, I'm going to get Sheffield. I really want to talk to Gary Sheffield. I'm fascinated by him. Like his bat waggle, the just raw power, the way, the swag, like the whole thing. I've always been fascinated by Gary Sheffield. So I go over to talk to him, and he's like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. So I get my mini disc player out, and because uh, that's what we had at the time. <laughs> that was the technology. This is like 2007-ish, <laughs> 8-ish. I don't know, somewhere around there. And, um, yeah, I did like a 10-minute interview with Gary Sheffield. He, was, he couldn't have been better. Gracious, interesting, funny, open, honest. He talked about steroid allegations and how ridiculous they were. He talked about racism in the minor leagues and what that was like for him coming up. He was phenomenal. I mean, like it was, it was probably among the best interviews I've ever done, not because of me, but because of him. Like he was just so interesting and engaging. And when we got done, I looked at the machine and it didn't tape one word of it. Ugh. Oh no! It's just awful. It's just yeah, and your I just, heart just sinks. Oh, I mean, like, like you worse just left your that. wallet on a bus. It's like I overslept and missed the beginning of my workday <laughs> at six a.m. That's what it felt like. Yeah, who would have done that? I, I mean, like it was. It, I'm not say it was quite that bad because that's that's pretty that's bad. I mean, like that's an egregious mistake that nobody would ever want to make. Don't only get one shot, right? But I I felt this big, two inches, right? I mean, it was just did you, a it, terrible, terrible moment. And you knew immediately. So did you say anything? I don't know that I want to tell you the rest of the story because it's kind of embarrassing. I did, I did ask him if he, like, I told him, I was like, hey, that didn't work. Would you be willing to do it again? And he was like, kind of gave me this look like, first of all, you're nobody. Second of all, like, no, not he, a chance. he was like, yeah, maybe if you can meet me here. And then he didn't show up. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's sad. fine. Like, I couldn't even believe I had the courage to ask him to do it again because there was no way. So a terrible moment in my career, not nearly as bad as oversleeping and like missing the beginning of a show. Obviously, <laughs> that is the absolute bottom, the nadir, the no. worst spot you could, could possibly be? be in. But uh the bright side is it lets the rest of us hear your lovely voice. So more we'll be singing a little bit later in the show. We'll be right back. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.